listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to speak, and uh, we're so blessed to uh, have Pastor Ryan and the year that we've had in learning about the Jesus way, right, the kingdom of God. And, and so uh, our prayer is that he and his family get some rest and that God is moving and speaking in his heart so that uh, he can continue to do this incredible ministry. Aren't we blessed? We're very grateful for this. So today we're going to talk about the holiness of God. And I've titled this sermon, Rivers of Living Water. This will all make sense in a few minutes. But I have to start off with a huge, huge disclaimer, and that is that the holiness of God exists way, way beyond my comprehension. And so I'm not going to approach this so much as an academic, but as a worshiper. Here's the deal. Our minds can't fully comprehend the holiness of God, and our minds demand to put God in a box. We want to understand things. But the holiness of God is, is too big for our minds. So our, our hearts have a much better chance at this. And so we're going we're gonna to worship him, and we're going to do it this way. John Piper has a great example, a great illustration. He says there's two ways to magnify God. We can magnify God as a microscope, or we can magnify God as a telescope. So a microscope takes things that are very, very, very small and tries to enlarge them so that we can better understand them. But a telescope, on the other hand, takes something enormous, something vast, space, and it looks at one aspect of that and and draws that near so that we can more clearly see it as it is. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to worship God in the beauty of his holiness through the lens of a telescope, so to speak. And so um, before I go any further, let me just ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, as we look into your living word this morning, we ask that you bring something, Lord, of your holiness to our understanding. Our heart's desire, Lord, is to know you as you are, Lord, to encounter you as you have made yourself known. And so, Lord, we present our hearts open to you today. We ask that your living word would come alive to us, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So our main text today is Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read the first eight verses. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it, and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. 
Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. In this vision of Isaiah, we see the gospel. The message of Isaiah is the message of the good news of Christ. And in it, Isaiah is gonna see God's whole plan of redemption. And I wanna look at these eight verses with you in four parts. And the first part is there's an amazing scene of worship that's taking place. And Isaiah is not so much worshiping as, as he is witnessing what's taking place. And he says, I see God, he's seated on his throne. He makes no mention of God's face or, or any, anything of God's appearance. He only identifies that God's clothes, his garments are holy enough to fill the whole temple with glory. So it's important to know that this worship is taking place in the temple. And I, and I want us to mark the temple. Everybody say temple. The temple of God is where the holiness of God meets earth. The temple is where heaven and earth come together. And I want us to just mark this. I want us to, to save this. We're going to set this aside. We're going to come back to this in, in a few minutes. So in his heavenly vision, as he looks, he sees these strange creatures called seraphim. And they have six wings. He says, with two of the wings, they cover their eyes. And two of their wings, they're covering their feet. This is just a sign of reverence and submission. And then with the other two, they're flying and they're calling back to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I suppose they could have sung different songs. They could have sung about how his love. They could have sung of his mercy. They could have sang mercy, 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 or mighty, 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 or faithful, faithful, faithful. And all of these would, of course, be appropriate for God. But the word that they choose when they see the heavenly worship take place is holy. That's the word that the angels use to describe what is happening. And this is the Hebrew word, it's Kaddish. And Kaddish simply means set apart, it means sacred, it means other. In other words, God is creator and everything else is created. God is the uncreated one, we are all creatures. And as these created, strange, angelic creatures are looking upon the holy otherness of God, the word that comes to mind is holy. This is a word that was meant to be used for only God. And I'm afraid we've abused this word in our culture. So my mom is here, and we have family that grew up in the Midwest. In the Midwest, they have a saying. And this saying is when they, when they encounter something surprised or unexpected, they say, holy cow! And let me just tell you, if we're using the word holy in the, in the true sense of the word, there's absolutely nothing holy about a cow, especially in the Midwest. They're everywhere. On the West Coast, when I was growing up, we had much more uh, irreverent uses of the word holy, and we'll just leave that at that. I think as we think about what the angels are describing when they're looking upon God and they come with this word holy, that there's certain words that we need to reclaim and reserve only for God. Amen? Amen. Holy is one of those words. <clears throat> because once we have abused or misused a word 
like holy, then what word do we have left to describe the almighty otherness, the perfect majesty of our God? The second thing that we see here is Isaiah's response to this holiness of God. His response. His response is repentance. Does Isaiah immediately join in on the worship? Does he do what we were doing a minute ago? By the way, wasn't that beautiful just to sing, just to have the voices fill this place with those words, holy, holy, holy? Did Isaiah stand back with his eyes closed and his hands raised and sing along with those angels, holy, holy, holy? No, he doesn't. Verse five says, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm undone. The first thing that Isaiah is aware of against the other holiness of God is his own unholiness. He's convicted in the weight of his own guilt and sin and shame. I would imagine that there's no place low enough right now for Isaiah to be. That the ground is not low enough to humble himself before the mighty hand of God. This is not in your outline. This is for free. Um, But this morning I was doing a little light reading in Job. Uh, and you know Job is 42 chapters and most of it's Job complaining complaining to God and God in his incredible grace takes it and lets him complain for 37-ish chapters and then finally God shows up and goes listen Job where were you right where were you when I let there be light and he goes through this whole thing and then Job ends this way Chapter 42, verse 5, he says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Look at this. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. When we have an encounter with the living God, I promise you there will not be a single one of us that will be on his two feet complaining to God about what he should and should not have done. And Isaiah here is on the ground. He is repenting. We used to sing a song, uh, down at your feet, O Lord, is the most high place. You guys remember that? Some of you remember that. And I always loved that song because it always seemed to properly frame our posture of worship before God. You and I can do nothing to elevate God. We can do nothing at all to make God more God than he already is. He said this to Abraham, I am that I am. He doesn't need our endorsement. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't even need our belief. He is complete in and of himself. The only thing we can do is humble ourselves. There's a third thing I want us to see here. So the first was worship. Second was repentance. Now, how does God respond to Isaiah? Well, let's look at verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips. and He said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. You know, some people think that the New Testament is the God of mercy and forgiveness. And the Old Testament is this angry God of judgment right, and, and, and condemnation. And is that what we see here? No. Here we see that God responds in mercy. The almighty, fearful one, the God of ages, the holy God, 
responds to Isaiah's humble repentance with mercy. And I I just want to pause right here because one of the most important things that you and I can ever know about God is that he is a God of mercy. Amen? He is a God of mercy. And when God encounters genuine repentance, he will always respond with mercy. And maybe, maybe there's someone here today, <clears throat> excuse me, where this is the entire message for you. That God's mercy will never reject a repentant heart. <clears throat> now I want us to see that this is where the entire Bible story pivots. It's on the mercy of God. The whole story changes here. And <clears throat> what do I mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, we see from Genesis that when sin entered the, the world, that everyone da- died and death with it because everyone had sinned. This is in Romans chapter 5. And so what we've seen is that the contagiousness of sin and death has spread through all of God's creation. But now God and Isaiah have this encounter here, and it's very different because it's not the unholiness of Isaiah that tarnishes the temple. It's the holiness of God that transforms Isaiah. And this is profound. In the Old Testament, we see all of the time that if a a Jewish priest or just a regular person encountered something unclean, they would be defiled. And this is how we know, this is why it was such a big deal before a priest could go into the Holy of Holies, the temple. They had to do all these purification rites. But here we say Isaiah, who's not even a priest, in the Holy of Holies, in the heart of the temple, and he doesn't defile the temple, but the holiness of God comes to him. Here's where we're going to see everything change. God is turning the world on its head here. Because instead of sin corrupting the earth, bringing brokenness and death, here we see the holiness of God giving wholeness and life. And that's the second thing that I want us to see here about the holiness of God. It's not just the the otherness of God, but here it's the wholeness of God. His holiness brings wholeness. I want to I want to pause here for just a second and I want to shift gears. And I want to kind of refocus here our uh, telescope. I want to think about the temple again. As I said, the temple is where the holiness of God meets the earth. This is where heaven and earth meet. And here we see that the implications of this being more uh, revealed uh, in another story in in the book of Ezekiel. And I want to ask us this question, what are the implications of this holiness in our lives? What does this mean for us today? So as I was doing research for this sermon, I came across a study done by a guy named Tim Mackey. He produces those Bible project videos. Anybody seen those? They're amazing. They're really, really well done. If you haven't seen them, check them out. And so here, Tim Mackey does this brilliant thing where he connects the story of Isaiah 6 to Ezekiel 47. And in Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel has a vision of the temple. 
And what he sees is water trickling out. I learned last night that this is east. Am I right? Is this east? So the water is coming out of the temple and it's moving east. And the farther it moves from the temple, the deeper it gets. And it finally turns into a river. And on either side of this river, there are trees that are springing up. Fruit trees of every kind. And then a voice says, son of man, do you see what is happening here? And then the, the fruit trees are springing up and the leaves are good for healing. And then this river moves to the Dead Sea and it touches the Dead Sea. And what do you think happens when the fresh waters of God's holy temple meet up with the saltiness of the Dead Sea? It's not the saltiness that pollutes the fresh water, it's the other way around. The fresh water from this river completely transforms the Dead Sea and brings it to life. And Ezekiel says that there are fish of every kind springing from the Dead Sea. This is a picture of God's redeeming the world. Everywhere this river goes, everywhere this river flows, all creation is being restored. It's being made whole. This is the holiness of God coming to the earth and spreading out from the temple. As Isaiah said, the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Are you still with me? All right. <clears throat> I want to now look at the New Testament. I want to refocus now the, the, our telescope to the New Testament. Because in the Gospel of John, there's another profound revelation on the temple of God that takes place. John says in chapter 12 that Isaiah saw the future. He saw the Messiah's glory. So in Isaiah's vision, when he's looking at the temple, he is seeing Jesus. He's not seeing a physical building, but he's seeing a living temple. And earlier in the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, Jesus is being confronted by his best friends, the religious leaders, who didn't understand Jesus. In fact, they were blind to who Jesus was. And this, by the way, was part of Isaiah's prophecy, that having eyes they wouldn't see. And so they're debating with Jesus outside the temple. Jesus has just overturned the merchants and the money changers in the temple. We probably remember the story. And they're saying to him, give us some kind of sign that proves that you are who you say you are. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> She read my mind. Give us some kind of sign that you are who you say you are, that you have the authority to do these things. <clears throat> and then Jesus says, okay, I'll give you a sign. You're going to destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up. And in verse 20, they say, what? They exclaimed, it took, takes 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Now, I want us to see this because this is something that the religious leaders never saw. <clears throat> to them, the temple was a place to offer sacrifices. But here we see the holiness of God move from that physical building onto Jesus. <clears throat> and in the life of Jesus, we see the vision of Isaiah and Ezekiel come to life. Because Jesus brings living water the living water that Ezekiel saw. Everywhere he goes, he brings healing and restoration. When he touches a leper, he doesn't get defiled. The leper gets whole. He heals the blind. They recover their sight. He forgives the sins of the brokenhearted, the poor in spirit, those who have repented. 
And to those looking for a new way to live, he gives them a whole new way to live. The kingdom of God. It's what we've been studying for the last year with Pastor Ryan. A whole new way of living. And this is how God is restoring the earth. This is what Isaiah saw. The holiness of God filling the whole earth with his glory. Amen? All right. We move now from the Gospels into the book of Acts. And we see this picture of the temple and the holiness of God develop even further. Because Jesus says that I'm going to pour out my spirit into men. He's quoting Joel. I'm going to pour my spirit into all flesh. And we see the apostles now being filled with the spirit. And now he charges them that you are going to be my messengers. Just like he said to Isaiah. He sends them out. Now we see the temple of God. We see the holiness of God going out to the ends of the earth to bring this good news of Jesus Christ. And then in the epistles, Paul and Peter have an even more profound revelation. And I just want us to look at a few of these scriptures together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, don't you realize that all you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit dwells in you? And in 1 Peter, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. And you are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Do you see what's happening here? The, the otherness of the uncreated, eternal God in his mercy is turned towards man. And he has given his mercy. And now his mercy is spreading. And now each one of us become a living temple, that place where God's holiness dwells. A few verses later, Peter says this, that you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation. And watch this, God's very own possession. And earlier, he says, the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Okay, everybody say must. must. You must be holy. Everybody say because. Because, because I am holy. So why, why do we need to be holy? Because God is holy. And anything belonging to God must be made holy. And that's the third truth I want us to see this morning about the holiness of God. It's not just the otherness of God, this distant otherness, but it's God turning towards man and redeeming and making things whole. And here we say that anything that belongs to God must also be holy. Now, this is a worship sermon because this is way too big for our minds. We can't contain this. We look around and our mind challenges that idea. We see each other. We say, how could this person possibly be holy? But this is the work of God in, inside our hearts where he says he's given us a new heart and a new way to think and a new way to live. And this is who we are and this is who we are becoming. And somehow God uses people like us who believe in him as his vessels. A.W. Tozer says this in The Knowledge of the Holy. We're studying this together on Wednesday nights. And by the way, you guys are all welcome to join us. He says this, Whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. We are made his temple. He cannot reside in a place that is not perfect. Holy. He has made us holy. And this is the message of Isaiah. This is the vision of the good news that he saw. It's the song that he heard the seraphim sing in the 
in the holy temple of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is the vision Isaiah saw of God redeeming the world. I'm going to invite Daniel to come, and we're going to look at one more verse together. We've been looking through this telescope of worship this morning, attempting to get a glimpse of God's holiness, which is too great for us to comprehend. And so what do we do with all this? I want to read one more verse that kind of sums this up. Actually, it's the words of Jesus in John chapter 7. Jesus says this. He says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Debbie, that's you. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Dave, that's you. Sophie, that's you. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. This is his plan. This is his mysterious plan. Our minds just go because we can't understand it. But God has given us something that is more for our worship than it is for our understanding because this is the mysterious plan of God that somehow he can use each one of us as vessels. Somehow he has, in his holiness, made us fit vessels for his holiness, not only to redeem us as he did Isaiah, but then he calls us all his messengers and he says, this is how I'm going to finish my plan of redemption. This is how I'm going to reclaim what sin has broken. And instead of sin and death and brokenness, we're going to get wholeness in life through Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do. As we close, I want us to all just assume a posture of worship. Just close your eyes right now. And just just lay your hands on your lap with your palms open. Just assume a posture of of receiving. And I want to ask you a few questions. And these are just for you. Don't don't answer out loud. But with your eyes closed and your, your hearts wide open, let me ask you this. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for his living water? Have you seen the Lord? Do you believe that he is able to make you whole? Then drink. Have you come to him in humble repentance? Have you come to believe the message of the good news of Jesus Christ? Then receive his mercy. Receive his holy touch that removes your sin and forgives your sin. After Isaiah had seen the Lord, he repented and received a healing touch of mercy. And then the Lord asked him a question. He said, whom should I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? How will you respond to this question? Will you discover the joy of service, of learning, as Ryan has said, to love others well? Will you present yourself to be used as a vessel where God can flow through you rivers of living water? How about us as a church? Do we see that God is forming us this way? As worshipers that live in the present tense of repentance, who regularly receive and let flow through them mercy, 
Are we allowing him to form us into vessels this way, receiving and offering it freely? Father, this is our prayer here today, that you will work freely through us. Help us all to see that these are not just one-time events, Lord, but you've called us to a life of worship, of repentance, of receiving and giving mercy, Lord, and of service. And that we trust, Lord, is that we apply ourselves to these things that you will accomplish your purpose through each one of us. And not only us, Lord, but as our church, and not only Village Church, but Lord, your holy church all over the world. Lord, we look for the hope that is Christ. We look to you, Jesus, to make all things new, to fill the whole earth with your glory, to make the whole world your temple, Transform us, Lord, in your holiness, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.